Welcome to the Deeply Discussing Movie Podcast. Every week we discuss a movie and then one of us suggests the next movie for us to watch and discuss. All the movies are available from the major streaming services so that you can participate with us. I'm your host, Dale Maxfield. I'm joined by Aaron Caldwell. Hello. Alicia Walker. Hello. And Nathan McKinney. Hi there. And this week we're going to be discussing Nathan's suggestion, Goodbye Lenin. Uh, which is a movie where in 1990 to protect his fragile mother from a fatal shock after a long coma, a young man must keep her from learning that her beloved nation of East Germany, as she knew it has disappeared. But first we're going to talk about what we've been watching lately. Aaron, what have you been watching lately? Oh, you know, recently I went and watched uh, fast and furious nine, otherwise known as F nine. And um, Great. well, it's about what you'd expect. Uh, there have been nine of them. It should be pretty <laughs> obvious what they are by now. It's it's so terrible, but God, I love them so much. It's just ridiculousness for about two hours, and uh, you leave there and you're like, "What in the hell did I just watch?" But it, it's great. Okay. <laughs> um. Sounds sounds intriguing, I guess. Um, Alicia, how about you? Um, I watched with Nathan actually this week, uh, Mulholland Drive. Oh, uh, yeah. One of my favorites. Yeah. And, you know, to be honest, I don't think I had seen it since it came out. So, oh, really? Uh, yeah. And it, uh, it desperately needed a rewatch, obviously, because, uh, you know, that's one of those. It's a thinker. Uh, and so I think I saw it. I think it came out when I was in college and I saw it and I, I was like, I don't know what I just watched, but I liked it. And of course, uh, I think the three guys I went with, they definitely liked it. Uh, but uh, <laughs> it was... It was good. I enjoyed watching it again and kind of, you know, knowing some of the basic things and knowing that it was going to be a little bit of a mind bender and, you know, things changing up a little bit in, in you know, the, the loose plot line of what's happening there. Um, I enjoyed watching it again and kind of trying to figure it out, you know. So Nathan has seen it a bunch. So it was kind of funny. He's like, okay, do you want me to talk about, we can talk about kind of what some stuff means. I was like, let me watch it first. And yeah. then... Then let me see what I'm thinking it has to do with and what it means and what this is and what that is. And so we, you know, we had a nice discussion after the movie, which was good. So, yeah, I like it. I mean, so there, there's so many, you know, threads from the different David Lynch movies that are, you know, parallel and, you know, and you've got like musical interludes and this and that. And you always have this background wind kind of happening Mm -hmm. you know, like the 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 scary wind bringing in something. So yeah, I you know I lo I love David Lynch movies, but but that one had been way too long since I had seen it again. So I enjoyed that. Yeah, that was one of the best movie going experiences I've ever had. Um, I went and saw it with a friend um, at the Rio Theater here in town when it came out, and we both watched it. And we both agreed at the end, we didn't know what it was about, but we were thoroughly entertained by it. Yeah, me too. And like a week to the day later, I called him and I said, I think I know what it is about now. I think I finally cracked it. And there are not a lot of movies that I think about for a full week. Right, um, right. Let alone sort of, oh, okay, interesting. And then when the home video version of it came out, 
uh, I was interested to look at how the chapters were segmented. Um, and I didn't know this at the time, but apparently all of David Lynch's films are like this. They don't have chapter selection. Oh, interesting. I'd so, never noticed that either. Yeah. He does not let you do that. So, uh, that, uh, uh, kind of put it to the test for me because, uh, I would need to go in and edit the movie to make it, uh, make sense the way that I think it makes sense. But, uh, that's Mulholland Drive. Um, I want listeners to go out and see it if they haven't seen it, and we're not here to get into the into the weeds of that. Um, no, because I could talk not. about that movie for at least as long as that movie runs. So, well, and I think that's one of the things, like you said, that's great about it is that it makes you think, and you keep thinking about it, and you keep thinking about it. But then also, you want to talk to people about it. So, yeah, definitely, yeah. people need to see it. Uh, I watched a four part docu series called The Night Caller. Uh, I'm bringing this up in my ongoing uh, segment that I like to call things with terrible names that no one will remember. Uh, the night caller is right up there as, as something that if you don't write it down, you're never going to remember it. Um, you know, based on what it is, like you're going to think, was he talking about the night stalker? Was he talking about, you know, the night well, manager, the night manager, the night porter, yeah um (laughs) the nightman cometh um that episode crawler yeah it's always sunny so uh no it's actually uh it was on uh uh i believe it was on amc plus and uh they have bundled in sundance now which is the sundance now original documentary series it's similar but possibly better than the Netflix series, how to fix a drug scandal in that a lot of it is about corruption and ineptitude and how did this happen? Um, But it's about a serial killer and kind of the first modern serious serial killer in Perth, Western Australia. Um, And it happened in the 1950s and 1960s. Um, it's really intriguing. Uh, it's one of the things I think is interesting about it is that, um, you, you kind of find out how naive people were, especially there, especially then about how these things happen and, and how safe you are doing things like sleeping outside, which was you know, a big part of their culture there uh, before this started happening, um, that kind of thing. It's also interesting in that um, because it's, you know, about Australian people and, and in a lot of ways made for an Australian audience, uh, it is, a, it's a very, it's very low key on the violence. Australia is a very, their, their censorship is really hard on violence uh, getting through certainly more so than America, but like they're very conservative about showing that kind of stuff. So it's really more about, you know, how this guy got away with it. Um, did people get, uh, set up to take the fall for some of these murders to make the public feel better? And it turned out that every murder for 10 years was this one guy, this one crazy guy running around doing it. 
Um, it's, it's very, very interesting. Um, all four parts are, are great. And it just, you keep getting that. Oh my God. Oh my God. This happened too. this happened too. So, uh, highly recommend it if you can get, uh, your hands on, uh, a copy of it through, uh, one of the Amazon channels or directly from Sundance. Now, I think you could also, um, just buy it outright from Amazon, uh, digitally for like 12 bucks or something for all four episodes. So it's not, it's not a massive investment. Um, I got in on the prime day, like they had like eight channels that were available for 99 cents a month for two months. So I've been kind of gorging on channels like acorn and stuff like that, that I don't normally have on there. Um, kind of getting through some stuff that, um, I haven't had a chance to see yet. So that was it for me. The night caller, the night caller, uh, Nathan, <laughs> what about you? Uh, so, you know, occasionally we just, when we're picking movies, we go back and forth and occasionally we just try to pick one that the other one hasn't seen yet that we love. And so Alicia picked, uh, for us to watch, uh, bull Durham. Cause I actually had never seen it. Mm. Um, you know, it's a, I, I was I wasn't sure what to expect honestly. I really didn't know a lot about it. Um, I just knew about when it was from, and I knew it was a Kevin Costner with base, baseball. Um, I enjoyed it. I think um, it's probably not even my favorite Kevin Costner baseball movie, honestly. Uh, which, is which is Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> a, there's a that's a home run on that one. Um, Ouch. <laughs> Uh, no, I, you know, I like, um, the, uh, you like the field of dreams, the field of dreams. And I, and I kind of laughed cause I got mixed up and forgot it wasn't, uh, it was Tom Hanks and, uh, the, a league of their the, own, a league of their own. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> we're, we're a little short on sleep. So, um, you know, but I enjoyed this one. I, I think Susan Sarandon was, throw you with my dumb Robin Hood did, joke. You yeah. You, you, you knocked me off my <laughs> I completely derailed you. Yeah. Yeah. Everything's so that's, ruined. That's the postman. Is if the I'd been Friar Tuck, I'd been off the log, you know. Oh, um, <laughs> that's a Looney Tunes reference for you there. Um, anyways, uh, you so, like a mule. Yes, uh, Prince of Thieves. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, Morgan Freeman. We have we have so far gone away from anything I was going to talk about with this movie, but that's okay. Uh, I'll just him. I'll just kind of sum it up by saying um, it was a little more cheesy '80s than I was expecting. Um, it's got that kind of schmaltzy, everything buttons up perfectly with a bow at the end eighties, almost like a, um, uh, terrible names today. And, John Hughes, he, John he, Hughes, almost he like a John Hughes the movie. There was something, dance, there was something about it that was no. very John Hughes-esque. Um, so it was good. I think the highlights were probably Tim Robin being as wacky as he can be, which mm-hmm. is kind of always a pleasure. And Susan Sarandon was pretty good looking in this one. So yeah, that was that was right kind on. of my takeaway. Have you guys seen Nothing to Lose with yes. Tim Robbins and Martin Lawrence? Yes. Mm-mm. Yeah. Nathan needs to see that one. If that you love goofy, fantastic. wacky Tim Robbins. I don't know. Well, I mean, I'm a I'm a, a closet fan of uh Donald uh Howard the Duck. I can't even talk. So that's pretty I'm, cool. I'm what does that have to do with anything? I can't he's, he's <laughs> in that. Not in Nothing to Lose with Tim. Howard the Duck. Okay, fine. Yes, he is. Wasn't he? I don't think so. 
mind. There's some goofy movie where he's a scientist and he's really good. Hudsucker proxy. Scientist. I don't know what I don't know if Tim Robbins is in Howard the Duck. It's been way too long for a good. Yeah, reason. Tim Robbins is in Howard the Duck. Oh, there you go. Thank oh. you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, right. but you kept saying it like Howard the Duck was in the movie, and I'm like, yeah, no, and nothing to lose. No. It's fine. <laughs> it's it, we're madcap, just like Tim Robbins. In I'm gonna go lay Old down. Durham. Let me know when it's my turn to talk again. Okay. All right. <laughs> Goodbye, Lennon. Uh, so we watched a movie this week. Uh, it was. Goodbye, Lennon. Uh, Nathan had suggested it. It was a German film. Um, I stopped myself from doing the entire synopsis in the Werner Herzog voice. Um, had anyone besides Nathan seen the movie before? So, Aaron, let's start with you. What did you think of Goodbye, Lennon? Man, this was not the movie that I thought it was going to be. Like, the the poster for it is, like, in a sepia tent. Kind of gives you this feel that it's going to be, like, this major drama. But And, and it does have some dramatic things, but it, it's it's kind of amusing how, uh, the things that are happening in the movie. Um, it was not at all what I expected, I enjoyed it. Um, the guy, the main, the main guy, uh, Alex, Alex was his name. Daniel. Um, yeah. It took yeah. me like 20 minutes to figure out where I knew him. Uh, and it's, he was the sniper in Inglorious Bastards. Yep. Yeah. He's also in um, the Marvel movies. Yeah. As uh, Zemo. Yeah. But um, in Age of Ultron, I think. I just I sat there. I was like, he's a Nazi, and it turns out he's a Nazi and everything. Um, but uh, it, it was a it was a really interesting movie. I can say that I can't really think of any movie that goes about uh, the Berlin Wall. Uh, quite like this one does. It's like they took uh, a serious movie like Good Night, Good Luck and, and mixed it with 51st Dates. Uh, it's just... <laughs> okay. It was... Well, 51st Dates, they use a videotape to remind her of what's going on every day. So yeah. the, the with the news stories and everything, it made sense. It's in the and, top three Adam Sandler, Drew Barrymore films. um it was a it was a pretty solid movie i i I enjoyed it um the the end is uh is obviously pretty bittersweet but uh good movie i would definitely suggest people watch it alicia how about you uh i liked the movie i i don't think this is necessarily a movie i would uh think about a long time or that I would necessarily watch a lot on repeat, but I thought it was good. I thought it was sweet. I do think it was kind of like, here's a lighter side to the communist, uh, you know, block or whatever. Um, I think what I thought was really interesting is that um, I have some friends that live over in Germany and one of them, her uh, partner uh, was born and raised in East Germany. And so mm-hmm. he talks a lot about what that was like and waiting on the car to get the car and all the kinds of stuff that that happened. And, you know, the the 
very little variety of products and shortages all the time and things like that, obviously talking about it in kind of a dark way. And here it's like, let's celebrate all those great East German pickles and things like that, which is kind of funny because everything is to try to make mom think that things haven't fallen. And um, I thought it was good. I thought it was kind of going on its way and was kind of um, uh, just kind of flowing in a way I was in predicting it to go. And then I liked that they had that um, little bit of um, conflict pop up within what ended up happening with dad. So I thought the dad thing was just kind of a, okay, he escaped to the West, has a girlfriend, has a new family, blah. So I do like that the mom then here, she's not supposed to get aggravated about hearing things that are new, which is why they've gone on to this whole charade of not, you know, letting her know the Berlin Wall has fallen while she was in a coma. But here she drops this bomb on the family that totally stresses and shakes them up, which is that, yeah, dad left and expected us to follow. And we didn't. And I stayed here with you guys and that's how it was. And I never told you and I have all the letters and blah, blah, blah. So I thought that made it a lot more interesting that they added that element. And then the dad came to visit and, and Alex goes to find his dad and all that kind of thing. So I like the backdrop of all the changes happening in uh, Germany at the time and kind of the history of that. Um, so there's a lot of great things about the movie that I really enjoyed. Right on. Well, um, I really like this movie. Um, I'm, I'm a pretty big fan. Um, it's it's interesting watching it the first time, uh, how much it plays with your expectations. Um, I think for me, one of the things that, that kind of hurt the viewing experience the first time watching it was um, when it got to the point where uh, she got up and walked outside. I was like, okay, they're she's going to figure it out and they're going to tell her and all of that. And then they were they just didn't. Um, and right before that it happened, like the, the nurse, uh, girl, Laura, Alex's, I think her name was Laura. 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 Yeah. Laura. She was like trying to tell her in the room and she just wasn't understanding it or whatever. So I was like, Oh, they're going to drag this out another, half an hour but then there's all this extra stuff that happens in that last half an hour with the dad that makes it more interesting um and it kind of turns into it's sort of a stealth uh treatise on on how there there aren't there's no perfect system of government and so it talks about what this character's idealized version of the German Democratic Republic look like, and he builds that vision for his mom, this place that doesn't exist, and she's ecstatic about it. She's so happy, you know, when the the West flood into the East, you know, all the stuff happens in reverse, essentially, for, as what happened in reality. Um, that they all join together, that the reunification happens, all of that kind of stuff. Um, so I thought that was really interesting uh, to look at it from that perspective. Um, I like kind of twisted histories or things that that help you understand a part of history from a different perspective while also, you know, telling you we know full well that this isn't what really happened. This is just how we made this work uh, for her. Not a huge fan of lying to your mom, 
but uh, <laughs> I, I, I got over that. Um, by the end, I, I was with it. I thought it was very charming, very interesting. Um, the movie that it reminded me of the most, um, just based on the premise and what they were doing, is Life is Beautiful, uh, mm. which is a movie where a father and son instead of it being a son to the mother, it's a father to a son keeping up this fantasy that the Holocaust, the concentration camp that they're in is actually some sort of game show. Um, and keeping that alive and, and, and ready for him uh, with, you know, uh, something of a success, uh, not to give away the ending of a movie from 22 years ago that most people have probably seen once and never again, um, cause it's rough, but, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought, I thought it was really well done. Um, and it's, it's one that, uh, that I might actually, uh, talk my wife into watching with me at some point. Um, she was on call today and I thought she might've been home for it, but, uh, turned out she wasn't. So I might, uh, have to bring it up and watch it with her again. Um, maybe before my rental period expires on Amazon. So, but, uh, Nathan, uh, what the hell, man? Why did we watch Goodbye Lennon? Well, so, I mean, as those who have listened long enough uh, know, I went through about a month and a half or two months of trying to get through a bunch of German movies. Um, This one stood out uh, a long ways, primarily because of my own choices. I think a lot of the movies I watched were really heavy and dark and kind of depressing and sad. And that's a lot of German movies, quite frankly, especially during certain time periods. Um, So, um, you know, this was just kind of like the optimistic light bulb in the middle of all that that I I just loved and it had all the right touches from a direction standpoint that I thought really made it just a really charming as hell movie I mean if you give it nothing else it's charming as hell mm-hmm. um, I love movies that like you said Dale that kind of give you a different perspective on you know the way the history is written about certain situations in our world history, you know? And so obviously from the perspective of this, uh, protagonist, I mean, he's, he's a little bit of a mama's boy, obviously. And, um, she was at least outwardly very pro what was going on on the East German side, or at least tried to put the best possible face on it from his perspective about all that changed was the brand of pickles. once the wall came down. And so, it really didn't. And his sister went off and worked at a fast food and dumped her education. I mean, mm-hmm. it wasn't necessarily the thing to celebrate that I think a lot of the rest of the world got excited about. Um, so I thought that that was pretty interesting to kind of kind of put things in that perspective. Like you said, the, the government, um, what it looked like, especially that last movie that he makes to show his mom to show kind of like how things yeah, got to where they are today and kind of lies through his teeth doing it. But at the same time, you know, there's just enough dots that were connected between all the different groundwork that was laid throughout the movie from using the astronaut, which was kind of a sweet little touch. Um, and you know, just all the footage that was actually real and how he repurposed it in a way that made it feel pro East Germany enough, not in like a cruel way, like, Oh, you know, cause East Germany 
in the whole Soviet bloc, that whole regime obviously had its challenges, but you could say any regime has its challenges. So who's to say, I guess, but I mean, I thought that his perspective on it was very kind and fun to watch. I mean, it, it doesn't hold a lot of stakes uh, or, you know, it's, it's optimistic. Mm -hmm. My, my challenge watching it the second time, and some of it might be just because I had just recently watched it, and I recommend it to you guys, and hopefully you can kind of fill us in after you watch it a second time, Dale, is that once you kind of know exactly when this, the Titanic sinks in this movie, so to speak, you kind of know where it's going, and a lot of the stakes that are there are pretty low. Um, so right. watching it a second time, I'm not sure I enjoyed it quite as much as I did the first time. Um, I still think it's an, a brilliant movie, um, but I, I also think that I probably could have waited a little longer to see it the second time. And and then the only other comment I'm going to make um, is uh, just another music comment because I always make com music comments. Seems like um, Jan Tiersen actually did the the score for this, and I need to look up and see. But he actually used. Uh, a part that he used in Amelie, which is really famous from being from Amelie at this point, because everybody's seen yeah. Amelie. And I and I'm just kind of I need to look up and see if that was something he wrote that had nothing to do with Amelie, or if he repurposed it. Because if he did just repurpose it, I I I think it's kind of disappointing that he didn't give a little more interest to this particular movie by giving it its own score at that point. But because mm -hmm. it kind of took me out of the movie, honestly. Um, but. That's kind of my thoughts on it. Interesting. Yeah, I saw that the uh, the cosmonaut that they talk about, uh, the first German in space guy, um, was a real guy. And they actually cast the real guy to come back and play himself in the movie. Mm. But even though he agreed to come in and be in the movie, he refused to play himself. He wanted to play a fictitious character. So they ended up hiring an actor to play him instead and then dubbed that guy's voice so that he would sound more like the real guy, which is completely bananas for, you know, th this is a lot this of work part. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> why would you not just play yourself? Um, but OK. Um, so did he play something else or decide not? they decided not to do that? They all? decided not to use him. Um, speaking of playing someone else, though, uh, the guy that plays Dennis, the video editing guy, mm -hmm. um, he was originally cast as Alex. And then they found Daniel Bruhl and they gave him that part instead. Um, the, editing, the editing role was supposed to go to... Um, someone with a very different description, but they ended up getting a, a pretty stereotypically just German looking guy um, to play it. He's supposed to be like some kind of Hungarian, Turkish, some kind of weird thing that they had decided in the script. Um, but it, it worked. It worked totally fine. Um, the movie is is barely hanging on in the 1001 movies to see before you die. It's, it's in the upper nine nineties and every year they add a few films to that list. So it will probably get bumped off in the next three to five years, I would say. Um, but right now it's in there. Um, it's interesting. I, 
I went to Berlin in 2006 um, before Berlin regained its status as the capital of United Germany, uh, of the reunited Germany. They were in the process of rebuilding uh, all of the government buildings uh, that were there that hadn't been used since um, World War II. And uh, they have a pretty good uh, electric rail system that goes around sort of the main hub of the city. And something that, you know, we were learning kind of as we went there about it was that, um, you know, the wall was basically gone um, by then. Um, The Germans really didn't want any trace of it anywhere. Like you could go see it in like a museum and you could go to Checkpoint Charlie, which is like essentially just like a toll booth at this point. Like there's nothing left of it really. But they they really would rather just forget it. Um, uh, but one of the things that happened was because they'd had forty years of you know state sponsored jobs and and they weren't in a competitive Western capitalist market. Um, when the Western businesses started taking things over in East Germany, uh, it completely demolished all of the East German companies because they could not compete with the West on that level. And, um, and, and so it was kind of this, this massive takeover, but even so there was this weird thing where you could be on the subway and we wouldn't do this like verbally because we thought it would be really rude, but you could look down the line of people sitting on the subway and be like, West German, East German, West German, East German, just based on how they were dressed, how their hair was styled, all of that sort of thing. It was like there were people that still looked like they were from the former Soviet bloc, and there were people that looked like people from Missouri, which is Missouri and and Southern Illinois, like the area that I'm from, and I'm mostly German, is kind of what Germany is like. Um so it's it's no wonder that that they settled here because they sort of found West West Germany uh, over here. So, um, yeah, that's one thing I really liked about the movie was they don't really emphasize it, but the clothing and seeing them, you know, like when Laura at one point takes off the East German clothing because she's like, I'm sick of this. I want to wear my, you know, new West German stuff and the yeah. Western stuff like that. Definitely. Like all that East German clothing all had a look about it compared to, to Western style. And of course, color and pattern and things like that. Yeah. And of course, like all the East German women's clothing fit well over the West German clothing, right? Because it was less revealing. There were less pieces. It was more like like a pillowcase with a head cut out of it kind of tops. and Yeah, which is something she mother used to protest and write all those great letters about, which was fun too. Yeah, and that was an interesting side of it was that, you know, beyond the whole shock thing, finding out that the father didn't abandon them, that she made this choice that she was worried about losing her kids if she didn't uh, stick to the party and the culture and all of that sort of thing. But then she had this really sort of constructive criticism of the way things were done in East Germany um, with all of her petitions and things that she wrote in for. 
where it was like very polite, but very like dry humor, you know, making fun of, you know, I'm very sorry that the women here are not square and squat, you know, we'll try and gain weight and change our shape. But for now, we'd really like it if you could make clothes that fit us. That would be nice. <laughs> so I'm sorry if that messes with your production goal. Um, <laughs> and uh, there's also a, a funny uh, production goal joke uh, later on in the movie about uh, Germany winning the World Cup. They said that the German football team uh, exceeded their production goal and beat Great right. Britain. <laughs> right. That was good. Yeah. His narration in general is pretty clever. Like it, it doesn't just like ever say what exactly is going on. You kind of there's a twist to it that's usually pretty clever. Yeah. Well, and and I didn't think he his, refer his... to uh, a military parade as like kids in the playground with uh, showing off who has the bigger gun or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, too, that the uh, the narration works really well at the end to sort of explain, like, the stuff they don't show. Like, they don't show her death. They don't show that she, you know, never found out. Like, he, has to, he tells us that at the end. But he talks about, like, sort of his reasoning behind it and why he thinks it was a good thing and all of that sort of stuff. And I was like... By that point, like I, I agreed with sort of the thesis statement of the movie. Um, whereas at like the ninety-minute mark, I was like, "Okay, guys, like now, now's when she finds out, and the third act happens, and we're we're done." But it's like, nope, we're going in this whole other direction, and we need to keep the charade going another another round, and. Um, no, Lara's not going to break up with him over it. Like you expect to happen in some kind of a, you know, Hollywood rom-com style movie. Um, that's what would happen in 50 first dates. Um, since we're comparing movies here. Um, so yeah, um, I, I, I really enjoyed it all the way around. I don't think I've ever seen Daniel Brühl in something I didn't like. Um, but, uh, um, Maybe that's just because I've you know only seen him in probably seven films or something at this point. So it's it's interesting. I was uh, I was watching some interviews with him where he talks about this movie, and he doesn't like it. Like he really? he liked he liked that he was in it. Um, he he likes the movie as a whole, but. It gave uh, people started calling him the nicest guy in Germany, <laughs> and because of that, he could he was typecast in German films. Like he couldn't mm. get the roles that he wanted because they only wanted him to play the nice guy. It's interesting. This like oh. Paul Ruddified him or something. Yeah. So that so he came over and uh, and played a Nazi sniper. So there you go. Yeah. One of my favorite things about this movie um, is his his performance, specifically the the subtle uh, emotions that he shows in his face when they're watching the fake newsreels. Um, you you kind of see it 
like he he clearly idolizes his mother by that that picture at the end where it shows all the kids uh and he's just staring at her in the in the picture you, you can tell he idolizes her so he probably had this like yeah i would love to be uh on the other side of the wall and then when the wall fell this movie only takes place like what 8 months later Mm-hmm. So every everything's changing so quick for him and these newsreels you can see in his face that like he's kind of nostalgic for how it used to be um and, and he's not dealing with the change well and as the movie goes on you can kind of see him accept it a, as well so it's like the the newsreels were not just for his mother's health, it yeah. was for him as well, and it, it was it was just a really cool little, you know, subtle facial tweaks that were that that told the story. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that's why the movie the movie wraps on such an upbeat um, note that it's it's his way of accepting it too. It's the Germany that never was that he and his mom shared um, and he got to, he got to have that experience of that. Um, so that was interesting. There was some stuff they were doing with uh, uh, slow motion and a lot of fast motion that I thought was kind of interesting. Um, I, I'm not sure who I thought it reminded me of the most. There was kind of a, like a Danny Boyle, Edgar Wright quality to some of it. Hmm. Um, but then there was also, uh, they, they name drop a Kubrick uh, movie in this. The guy's really excited about his 2001 shot that he, that he put into this wedding video. <laughs> and um, it was weird because even before I saw that, one of the movies that was coming to mind for me and I don't know if it was the oddness of it, of, of how things were going on or the performances or what, but Life is Beautiful came to mind, but the other movie that came to mind was A Clockwork Orange. And it's nowhere near as weird as A Clockwork Orange, but that whole like twisted version of reality thing, um, I was getting vibes off of him. Maybe it's the fact that they're both called Alex that might have had something to do with it. Um, but yeah, I was getting getting some Clockwork Orange vibes off of it. The only time that I think the motion, uh, the speed slow down, speed up thing didn't work uh, was something that just didn't age well. When they have uh, the Lennon statue being carried out, the, the goodbye Lennon scene... Uh, they use slow-mo as the statue is passing her on the street and the CGI of Lennon and the blur of the background moving behind him. It's just a really bad effect and it's made worse by slowing it down and giving you extra frames to look at how much it doesn't work. (laughs) Um, You know, when it was like further away and, in the air, it looked fine, but like that close-up of him just like pointing at the screen, going past with the blurry background, was just like, okay, guys, um, 
now you're doing something that's actually impossible with an optical camera and it's making this my my brain won't stop analyzing it for flaws so that was you know the one thing that sort of let it down but um apart from that i thought they did a really good job of you know shooting this movie in 2002 2003 berlin and cgi westernizing so much of it um making all the colors yeah uh more drab more eastern block more you know uh every everything's very dark in berlin now it's like a giant concrete city um i don't know if any of you have been there but um it's yeah it's kind of a it it it, it has kind of a uh <laughs> beyond thunderdome quality to it in that way so I just got to say, I think you're wrong. I think that's actual film footage shot from the big boy statue that the ph- photographer was sitting <laughs> on that we're bringing in to replace Lennon. Uh-huh. Sorry. That was, uh, yeah, I think that was used more effectively <laughs> in Robin Hood Prince of Thieves is all I'm saying. <laughs> or Howard the Duck. Yeah. When Howard the yes. Duck gets out of the water with Morgan Freeman and he says, you whine like a mule. Um, I, I saw Prince of Thieves in theater seven times, guys. Wow. I was going to say, I, I have no Every of one of my friends wanted to see it, and none of them wanted to see it the same day. So They used to be on television all the time, so I think I've seen it a lot from that back in the day, too. Yeah. It's a movie that I have always wanted to bring to our movie riffing group because it is ripe. It is so bad, um, but it is so long that I just can't. I can't do it. It's like a two hour, 40 minute long movie. And Does any Costner film go shorter than two hours and 30 minutes? <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> not, I, yeah, I, I don't really bother with, I don't really bother with much of his stuff. Maybe we'll do the bodyguard someday. I don't know. Oh. But, uh, but uh, our next suggestion is from Aaron. Aaron, what would you like for us to watch next time? So I went through and found a movie that I used to love back in the 90s. And I, I think it still holds up. Uh, it, it is the 1993 movie Searching for Bobby Fischer. Oh, okay. Oh. Yeah, I've seen that. Uh, a prepubescent chess prodigy refuses to harden himself in order to become a champion like the famous but unlikable Bobby Fischer. Yeah, that sounds good. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for the discussion on Goodbye Lennon. Thanks, everyone out there, for listening. We'll see you on the next Deeply Discussing Movie Podcast.